podcast is for investment professionals only. The value of investments will fluctuate, which will cause prices to fall as well as rise, and investors may not get back the original amount they invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance. The information and views expressed should not be taken as a recommendation, advice, or forecast. Hello and welcome to the Investment Podcast. I'm Jo Waldron and I'm an investment specialist in the private assets team. And today I've got William Nicholl, CIO of Private and Alternative Assets here at M&G to talk to us about what he's seeing in his business. Private assets have been steadily growing in popularity in recent years. Prequin estimates that um, global alternative assets, AUM, will have a growth rate of somewhere around about 10% per annum and will grow from $10 trillion at the end of 2020 to $17 trillion by 2025, which is being led by debt and private equity. William, the private and alternative assets business you run at M&G is pretty large. You've got over 500 people running 62 billion of AUM. With that many people in assets, your definition of private assets is very broad and reaches from private equity and alternatives to infrastructure and real estate, with a large private debt business incorporating corporate, real estate, distressed and both structured and consumer finance. That tells me that private assets are an important part of M&G's business. Why do you think that private assets are attractive to clients and why do you think there's been so much excitement about them? Um, hi, Joe. I, I think that you, you've got a, a lot of different reasons why people are moving away um, in, into private assets. And, and one of the other things, one of the things that we should think about is when we're talking about private assets, we're, we're talking about assets that aren't public. And, and so you're talking about a lack of transparency. You're often talking about a lack of liquidity. So, so you are talking about two things which, which are normally seen as, as not so good. And so there have to be reasons to attract people out of things that are, that are, that are liquid and where you've got real transparency of markets um, for, for people to want to do that. You've just got a lot more choice sitting in the private markets in terms of, of what you can do. So there are, as, as you said, there are a large number of asset classes going all the way through from infrastructure equity and, and private equity ideas uh, through real estate in, into the private debt discussion. You clearly have a, a large amount more diversification than you can get elsewhere. And I think that that is very attractive to particularly to large investors like pension funds and, and you know big institutional investors you have the ability in the private markets to to be much more bespoke with what you're doing and so um when you think about the protections that you can put on debt or you can you can uh, the the level of management interaction that you can have when you think about private equity then you have a very different set of interactions and and levers you can pull to start thinking about how to change your investment or how to make sure the investment works for you and, and the, I think when you think about the, the interactions that people are having with, with the companies or, or the, the, the projects that are involved, that also goes very neatly into ESG and impact. Because if you're able to have good, sensible, easy conversations with management because you have a close relationship with them about their ESG or about the impact that they're having on various different areas of their, their business, that, then that means that it's much easier for us as investors to, to, to show clients and, and show our institutional investors exactly where uh, ESG and impact are, are coming from in their portfolios and, and where there might be issues and, and what we can do about it. And we can normally do something about it in the private markets, which is not always so easy in all the public markets. Thank you. It's interesting. 
You say that the private assets are useful for portfolios and useful for our clients. Um, so why aren't we seeing more of them? Why don't we see the private asset funds in the industry best buyer lists? Yeah, and I think that, that that's a really good point. The, the answer is comes back to the original discussion that, that when you're talking about private assets, they're not liquid um, uh, normally um, and, and they're not as transparent. So they're just more difficult to invest in. And, and and that when when you ally that to the fact that they're more difficult to invest in, and you've got a very large number of different asset classes, that then it's really getting quite complicated. And so what what we are you know the way that we look at it is that many investors will be look will have very different requirements from their investment portfolios. So you end up something that looks very much like a modular approach where you have a large number of asset classes that you you can put into various different funds, each doing different things. So for example, if you're looking at long lease property, then then quite often that will have an inflation uh, component. So you might get 20 years of inflation linkage. And that could be very interesting for certain pension schemes. Or you might be looking at something that's slightly shorter dated, something like specialty finance, where, where you might be getting a significantly higher return over the next seven, eight years. And again, that might be extremely interesting to a whole different set of investors, you know, all the way through from high net worth, uh, through into into different sort of institutional investors. So so what we found is is you have to build a, a, a modular approach to try and and, and uh, get access to the right assets of people, and, and that means that you're asking people to understand quite a lot. You're asking your investors to understand uh, how different markets work, and and that takes a while. So I think that we're still in a process where the the private markets are developing, and and therefore you would expect. Um, although there's a lot of interest in private markets, that it takes a while for for that to feed through into portfolios, and and what we've seen is with the very largest um, asset allocators, we, we've seen bigger allocations to private, and and that has going through different clients and and client size really, and so over the last five years, you've seen much more interest in in the, the, some of the smaller clients uh, looking to get access in, into private markets, and and, and then you. Start start hearing, uh, seeing some, some of the difficulties in terms of making sure that there's enough education, that there's enough um, uh, liquidity and access for these people to be able to get into, into the private assets they particularly want. And I think it's also probably worth saying that the, the, the scale of, of these markets and, and the number of people that you need for each separate little market means you, you, you tend to get a concentration towards the larger managers. Um, you know, the, ideally, you, you wouldn't have as many people running private assets as we have, um, because you know that that's that's a huge resource that we're putting towards it. But but you have to do that in order to be able to do it properly, because each market has its own conventions, each market has its own way of looking at at, at credit or returns or risks, and 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 you need to to understand that. So you've described a world where you've got lots and lots of different pockets that we're we're, we're trying to put together. Um, and still, we're only just starting to to get towards the smaller clients. It's really dominated by larger clients and larger managers. Is there anything else that can be done to try and solve for the the liquidity and the complexity problems? Um, I think that there's lots of things that that we we can try and do. And interestingly, of course, there's a lot of things that the regulators and uh, various governments w- would also like to do because that there is an understanding that. Um, because an asset is is private, 
uh, and because it's a liquid, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not suitable for, for pension schemes. If you think about long-term infrastructure, that, that that's extremely suitable for, for uh, somebody's private pension scheme um, if they're not going to be able to touch that for the next 20, 30 years. Having something with, with a very long timescale works quite well. So th- what what we are seeing is is we're seeing um, an interest from from regulators, whether that's in in you know continental Europe with with LTIFs or or in the UK at the moment with with um, the idea of a, a long term asset fund um, to to allow people to get easier access to to illiquid assets and to long term assets. Um, and, and that, that again, there's an education process that will have to go on with that in order to make sure that everybody understands that, that you know, these things will be less liquid um, and, and to make sure that there are markets of some kind that allow us to, to either trade units in the fund or, or to, to easily uh, change ownership. Of, of the particular assets or the particular funds. And, and that, that's going to be a, a movement away probably from, from the standard partnership structures where switching ownership around space is a little bit more onerous um, to something that, that is one of these new structures, whether that's an, an LTAF or an LTIF or, or something like that. That's interesting. So we're we think there are structures coming that allow us to to see these assets um, being more accessible for individuals. One of the things that strikes me about um, having them as an individual investor, your ability to say it is going to be exactly that date when I want to come out of this asset um, is somewhat uh, limited. Um, And so being able to move the assets around within these structures becomes important. Is there any way that you can think of that we're, we're, we're going to be able to do that more easily? Because we don't see most of these assets trading very frequently. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, I suppose you need to come back to the idea of what, what do we mean by liquidity? Because if you think about um, publicly listed shares, that then you, you have a lot of regulation and a lot of rules about how you do that and how you show prices. Um, and and in, in many cases, of course, you, you have very strong liquidity amongst the largest equities. But in some of the, the smaller equities, then, then you know, uh, liquidity is, 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 is not instant. Um, and, and I think that people understand that. So I don't think it's, it's a point where uh, the idea that, that everybody needs to have overnight immediate liquidity, uh, I think, is, is, a, is a phase that the market went through in terms of, um, funds and and I think we, we it feels like there is an understanding that that that's that's not necessary and as you say the bit that's important is the idea that says you know in a couple of years or a couple of months or even a couple of weeks I'll be looking to move these assets and therefore you know how, how do I do that rather than the 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 current state which I think assumes that people you know could at 11.30 can have a cup of coffee and decide that they're going to sell their whole portfolio and, and can do that by the end of the day. So, so I, I think that, that that understanding means that, that there is also an interest in, in how you, you transfer these assets. So although it may take a little bit of time, then, then you want to be able to have, have a system that allows for transferability. 
So, so one of the things that, that you know, one of the, the reasonably obvious things that, that I think should come through over the next few years is, is the idea of tokenization. Because if, if you think about the various different um, uh, assets or uh, art or, or, or other ideas that have been taken and put onto a blockchain, then, then there's no reason why you couldn't get a large asset and, and, and have that tokenized um, and, and allowing for, for much simpler transferability. And I think as soon as you start solving the, the problem of transferability, then, then, then you are setting up the, the, the possibility of liquidity because if if everybody understands that that to transfer what what would have been you know something like half a building in in Munich for example which which previously clearly would take a, a large amount of work and either would require a whole fund to be set up or or require a large amount of, of, of property legal diligence if if instead that can be tokenized and therefore switching the ownership of that it becomes relatively simple and relatively cheap. And, and relatively quick, then then at that point the, the concept of liquidity can follow uh, in the same way that, that it, it does when when you start to um, when you start to uh, standardise you know how how equities are trade traded or, or how government bonds are traded. So so that sort of standardisation, that sort of understanding of, of of everything being being equal and 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 the tokens being being valid um, and uh, you know, in theory, non-corruptible. Then, then, then I think you have an interesting idea where where the underlying assets become much more uh, possibly liquid. At which point, you might see funds becoming much more liquid, which removes almost immediately um, the negative about in, investing in private assets, and and therefore you can go back to the discussion about diversification, extra yield, extra protections, all being very attractive with very little downside. That that's going to take a while. Then. That sounds really interesting. So you're you're essentially um, taking an illiquid and difficult to transfer asset and turning it into something digital and easily transferable um, in the same way that you transfer stocks or bonds in uh, across traded markets. Sure. And I think we also have to remember that that all the markets. I mean, every everybody grows up with this idea that the markets are um, have been there forever. And they're immutable, um, and 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 of course they they they're changing all the time, and and so the 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 idea that the I mean the the euro bond market for example I mean the corporate bond market is a reasonably recent invention, um, and and the liquidity there is 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 solely because uh, it it makes sense um, for for the for the community as a whole to to have the ability to to be able to trade these these bonds, and that people are willing to pay for them. So it's the same discussion. As soon as you get you get uh, units that that are feasible to trade, then then I think you, you you're much more likely to see liquidity. The, the difficulty at the moment is that there, there's clearly no no possibility of of trading things uh, and being able to move things around the place, which are so different when you're talking on one side about you know a, a company, a, a private company that that is in, in the infrastructure world. Or, or or a piece of asset backed securities, you know, some some mortgages. I mean, the, these things are, are, are wildly different, and and so you need to get a big enough market really to be able to drive liquidity. And and that one of the ways that could happen is is through tokenization of some kind. 
And what's the regulatory backdrop to tokenization? Is that something that regulators are happy with or are looking at? Um, I think regulators are looking at. I, I can't promise that that um, I really know what what they are, um, how how far advanced they are, and what they're looking at, uh, because it's um, it's it's very new. And as I say, there are not that many assets have been tokenized yet, and very few things have been done in in Europe certainly. Um, so I think the regulator is is is. Uh, it's going to be difficult for the regulator to lead on this because we need to start looking at, at how that works. And, and, and for example, whether you use a public or a private blockchain is is is, is an interesting discussion all by itself. Um, because a, a public blockchain means everybody can see what's happening, and, and a private blockchain, you know, can 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 solve the same sort of problems. But what you wouldn't have is you wouldn't have the ability for for the you, you limit your market, and therefore you'd be limiting your liquidity. So it, it is from from a regulator's perspective. I, I don't think it's it's yet at the stage where there's enough um, standard ideas on on how to do things. To, to allow for for sensible regulation to come through, but beyond that, we which we already have, and and and, and clearly we, we have a large amount of regulation already, make, making sure that the transferability, etc. So I think to start with, this this feels like something that will be uh, for very large assets for for large sophisticated investors and and then but that will dribble down quite quickly certainly that's the case if it ends up looking quite cheap and it ends up looking like an easier and cheaper way of transferring assets than we've had before it sounds like you um really are at the the, the cutting edge of trying to solve some of the inherent difficulties of um investing in private assets um and it's been really interesting talking to you today so uh thank you very much for your time um and we will see you in the next podcast thanks Jo. this podcast is for investment professionals only for further information please view the notes which accompany this episode